Father, we, as a community, as a, as a body of Christ, we want to be a healing body. So first of all, we pray for all the Tiffany Hendricks that heard this this morning. And we pray that they hear in that there's a place for me to find healing. And we thank you for Tiffany being courageous enough to tell her story of, of an eating disorder that nearly took her life. And if the healing, if the body of Christ is not a healing body, what is it? We, we want to be an agency of your hands and feet and your eyes. And so as we are venturing into the waters of intervention in coming years and hopefully creating pockets of community where Tiffany, the ninth grader, can find a place to talk about what she's struggling with. I know my prayer is that they would see Jesus in us and that they belong even when they feel like they don't measure up. Around here we could throw a rock up and it would come down on top of a student who doesn't feel like they have what it takes to meet their family's standards. And you go before us because we believe you've raised up player's box for such a time as this to be an agency of your hands, feet, and eyes. We thank you for the generosity that has been expressed. Amazing, Lord. I thank you that hundreds of people have said, I want this vision to be seen of boxes of support where people cheer on students and parents and coaches and teachers as they're venturing through life together and building a life that lasts forever. So we thank you, and in Jesus we pray, amen, amen. We hope that that um, package of the song with Tiffany's story gives you an idea of what we're trying to do. You know, one of the things that's really challenging about being a part of Southbrook is we are a very entrepreneurial place. We, we are not, you know, set in stone, believing our ways are always going to work, uh, they'll be obsolete so quickly you, you would be shocked. But when we say, I think God's leading us, for example, through that player's box initiative, it's amazing how he then begins to supply the opportunities and the people, and we want you to be along for that. We have about $3.5 million of our $4 million goal committed, but as, but as Katie said, we have 23% money already given. And uh, that's almost a million dollars that you have already given. And so we will be ordering steel hopefully by late spring, early summer. The plans are done. The, the process of, of approval and permitting is in, going on right now. So be in prayer for that because you're sitting in a room and someone either has or is, someone either knows or knows someone who knows a Tiffany Hendricks. And it's an epidemic that I think our, our adversary delights in. And uh, we want you to be a part of it. 
We're in a series in today's part three through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon in history, and as we're talking about life beyond religion, life beyond religion. And I want you to see a, a picture here in a minute that shows you the difference between religion and uh, what a relationship with Christ does. Uh, David Johnson Early in my ministry, I, I read a lot of his writings on the, the destructive nature of religion in and of itself. And he said this one time, and it really caught my eye. In the religion in which I grew up, we very carefully monitored external behaviors, carefully sifting out such evils as bowling. Did you catch that? I used to wonder why bowling was so evil while being a dried up old sourpuss was okay. <laughs> Having long hair for men was so definitely a sign that you were damned to hell, but malicious gossip was no big deal. And in that one statement, you have the futility of religious practice as an end in itself. And so one of the images that we use when we're talking about this is we use this imagery of a barcode. And a barcode, we've all seen it. Let me, I'm stuck, so let me, let me reset that. We've all seen a barcode in, uh, you know, on a product in the grocery store or some packaging. And one of the things about a barcode is a barcode, it works better than what my iPad is working right now. <laughs> I sold the team. I said, you know what? It may freeze out. There we go. All right. So there's the, there's the barcode. Now, one of the things I want you to see before you see this is if you, you, if you really are spiritual, you, can you see the Virgin Mary in that? You see? Oh, no, you can't see it. You're not in the club then. I'm sorry. Bad news. No, so here's the thing how a barcode works. So you could have a barcode that's for the dog food, but it's on shampoo, and all the barcode reads is, the scanner reads is what? The barcode. To the scanner, the product is shampoo. It's not dog food. Because there's no association in the scanner's mind to the actual product itself, it's all about whatever that sticker says. Now, when you see that, you see what religion does. Because religion says that all God sees is the barcode. Did you say the right creed? Did you get dunked in the right water? Well, then you're barcoded in. And there's no connection to the actual product. Because now you're in the club. You, you have been barcoded into the eternal life insurance policy of heaven. And you can see how this leads to such huge implications when it comes to being a Christian. Because much of Western Christianity is barcode Christianity. And so all you got to do is just... You know, go through the right classes, say the right things publicly, whoosh, swipe your dog food. You're in. Now, I remember the, a significant event when I lost my religion. It was like, this, this is the final straw. I had grown up in, the, in a very, very religious setting. If you didn't take communion every week, 
uh, and you were in a car accident, all bets are off where you'll end up in eternity. And if you weren't baptized at a certain age, that's how you were barcoded in. And so it was a really big deal. And I remember, so I went in the first ministry was at the Church of Christ in northern Kentucky. And one day I baptized little eighth grader Angie and the water wasn't filled up real high. And when I took her under, a little bit of her forehead didn't go under the water. And immediately one of the leaders of the church right afterward came up to me furious. You just invalidated that young girl's baptism. And he was angry. Uh, uh, and he said, you're going to have to do it again. And they made me do her baptism again. And that was the day I lost my religion. Uh, I wanted to baptize him for a while. <laughs> but that was the day I went. So, so our God only sees the barcode. Really? This is what Jesus died for? And I just began to work this through in my mind. And then, you know, as many of you know, this week it was pretty widespread across the news. Uh, um, uh, a pastor in Arizona who said we in the baptisms for many years instead of I. English is his second language. He's from Latin America. And all the baptisms have been invalidated. All done. And, and of course, thinking people go, this is your God? <laughs> this is your God? And so one of the reasons we're in this series is so many of you are new. Our church is just, you know, it's bringing in, you, you guys are bringing in people who are searching and want to know, is Jesus real? And I don't think anyone's coming to say, teach me how to do a baptism correctly. But show me life, and we want to show you life beyond religion. So I'm going to do something today that I hope you're hungry, because I'm going to put a 48-ounce a steak in front of you of Jesus' words. And you're going to have to be ready to you know, get your steak knife and your fork out, because I'm going, to, I'm going to do something, and there's a point to why I'm doing this. There's a reason why I'm... Uh, Forcing you to work with me today, really work to uh, stay focused. So we're picking up at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. We've been through the Beatitudes, the salt and light. And Jesus is anticipating that people are going to say, he's undermining Moses and our great traditions. And he says, don't think that I've come to abolish Tanakh, Torah, the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to truly fulfill them. Which literally means I'm going to give you, and I'm going to show you with my life, the full depth of the law, not just an external behavior, but internal regeneration and redemption. For I truly tell, truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And, and that accomplishment was, it is finished on the cross. And that's when the new covenant kicked in. He's speaking about the old covenant. He says, I'm bringing something new, and I'm going to fulfill that, but I'm going to fulfill it by showing you what it really means to fulfill the law. And then he says this, 
Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices, look at this, it's not about orthodoxy, it's about orthopraxy. It's how you practice and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And here it is. Here's the only verse you need to understand, to know, to understand the Sermon on the Mount. Right here it is, verse 20 of chapter 5. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now that would be the equivalent of, if you're, unless you are, your righteousness surpasses your priest or your pastors or your religious leaders, your bishops, you, the people who are esteemed as they've got all the answers and they're really close to the big guy in the sky. I mean, that's, that's the idea. You will certainly not enter the rule of God. As it, when it talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's not about going to heaven. It's about heaven coming into you and you stepping in to the effective range of God's rule in this life. Now, his audience, remember, were the poor in spirit, the beaten down, the ratted on, spat upon, as Bob Dylan used to sing. And so he's looking at them and going, you are going to surpass your religious leaders. Whoa. And what, what is he talking about? Well, look at the word righteousness, and I want you to look at that, and I want you to take a picture of this. So get your phones out. And take a picture of this, because if there's one thing I would love to have you chew on and mull over and pray over, it is the, one of the most important words in the New Testament. It was a word that was used by Aristotle and Plato. Again, we often think of certain words like righteousness as being religious words. They weren't religious words. They were, like, they were embedded in Greek philosophy, and Jesus took them and said, I have a new righteousness, and the word in the Greek language, what he uses in verse 20 is dikaiousene. Say that with me, dikaiousene. It's one of the most important words you will ever learn. It is the condition the human soul must be in for the human being to live well and do what is right and best. Look at this. It is a true inner goodness. This is the state of a person who's not stapling plastic apples on their dead tree. That's what religion is. This is the state of the person who has apple DNA flowing through their trunk and their branches. What do they produce? Apples. How about them apples? That, that's the picture. And he would even use this imagery. James, his brother, would use this imagery. Uh, apple trees that are alive produce apples. And he says in the Sermon on the Mount, this, this really, verse 20 is the whole Sermon on the Mount in one statement. There are about five or six times where he says the whole sermon in a statement. And this is one of them where he says, I want you not to do what I did. I want you to be inside what I am inside. I want you to be permeated with what I have permeating me. Because if, if, if your tree is flowing with my DNA, you will produce me. And it won't be work. Nobody says to an apple tree, what the sap can conceive, the tree can achieve. You know? Or, nobody says that, right? You don't, have to, you don't have to pump up an apple tree to produce apples. An apple by its DNA produces apples. 
And this is what Jesus is saying in this. So here's what he does. He then gives six illustrations of real life where this is what the law said on the surface level, but I say to you, this is what people with my righteousness flowing in their veins will produce. And this is very important. Listen to me, who, you who grew up in religious settings where you read the Sermon on the Mount and things like that. If Jesus is setting up another law, that's really going to discourage me because I can't keep this. If that is you, this is good news because he's not setting up more laws, more to-dos with this. He's showing what a person who is filling their life with his dikaiosene looks like. Now what he does is he chooses six particular topics that are the subject of reality shows, soap operas, and crime documentaries. These very six things are the things that make us tune in and stream shows. So he's not talking about some ethereal religious ambiguity. He's talking about real life. And there's a particular order to how he talks. Let's dig in. Hang on. Are you ready? Are you hungry? Because you're going to have to hang on right here, okay? Because there's a reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Everybody agree with that? Yeah, we agree with that. It's not a good thing to murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And anger in itself is not a sin, but holding on to it. it. The very nature of anger is that it changes every setting. You can feel it. It's like a colorless, odorless gas. And again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, even worse than anger, racha. It was actually a word that was onomatopoetic. It sounded like where it came from. It came from the word used to spit. So you think about, you think, this is the Bible I'm teaching you people. You think about when you just, you wanted to, 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 to like get a hawker going, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. Racha is answerable to the court, and the idea of Raka would be, you are, you are brainless. You, we would say stupid. You're so stupid. So your anger is now digressing, and anyone who says you fool will be danger of the fire of hell. So now it's gone to the level of, it's gone from you're stupid to you go to hell. I don't care if you go to hell. I despise you. This is dis, this is dis, dis, a, a absolutely despicable expression to another person. That's where anger goes. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, look at that, look at that. He's not saying literally... See, one guy's getting up right now. He's taking this, he's taking this seriously. He's like, he's literally doing it. Who, somebody's mad at him, and he's going to go do something about it. So right, it was just too good a timing. I couldn't resist that one. I see more of you people than you think I see, okay? Okay, so here, here it is. Here's where he's not setting up another law. He's not setting up another law that, oh, I just remembered so-and-so was ticked off at me Thursday at the office. I'm going to leave church. That would be fine if you did that because... But what he's saying is, is people with my righteousness will deal with anger because they are so full of love. They wouldn't think about being on that path that anger will take you from racha, contempt, 
to, to despicability, to murder. That's it's where it ends up. That's why most murders are domestic. It's because it starts with this anger that gets nurtured. He says, not, not my people. You, you would literally, this would actually be the equivalent of someone who's at a baby dedication or a wedding or a funeral. It's like a sacred, holy moment. And they go, oh my gosh, I cannot stand the path I'm on of of being in a relationship of mutual anger with my friend. I'm going to do something about that. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and there you may be thrown in the prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. What is he saying? You you know where anger can go? Anger in itself is a secondary emotion that says your will, your being has been violated. But if you nurture it, some people literally end up in prison because of anger. Almost all sin is the result of being angry or resentful. That's why the 12 steps deal with resentment. It's because it knows almost all dysfunction has to do with being wounded or angry. And he says, not my people. My people full of my righteousness will deal with it. Because they couldn't think about getting into a position where they have contempt for another human being. Look at the next illustration. You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and the, the, the tense there is looks with the idea of undressing, of having sex with that person. So it's not the temptation, it's the I'm, I'm staying with it. I'm staying with it has already committed adultery with her, where? In his heart. It's the heart that corrupts. It's the, it's the base, the root of the tree system that determines the tree's health. And he says, you're already down that path. You're already corrupting your soul. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What he's saying is, not literally, if something causes you to sin, literally create a stump or a, a, an eyeless socket. What he's saying is, let's get, to the, let's get to the root of this issue. Let's get to the root of this issue. For example, you could still have, as a matter of fact... A handless arm, but you could still sin if you don't get to the root of the issue. you got to get to the core, and the core is the human heart. Verse 31. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. This is Deuteronomy chapter 24. It was to protect women. And you, you have to give her freedom to remarry. It was a protection for the woman in a culture that women were abused and sold like cattle. He says, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is really, this is right the heart of this because these religious leaders in particular thought, well, we're legal because we're, we're, we're not holding back the certificate of divorce. We're legal. And what they were doing was they were wife-swapping and using the law to be legal, but Jesus sees right through that and goes, I know what you're up to. Now, this is such a huge issue, this one right here, that this week I recorded a 16-minute teaching just unpacking this. So we're releasing that, I think, today or tomorrow. 
And so go to our website. Eric, do we have a, a slide on that? I don't know if we have a slide on that where you can go and where I unpack that because the divorce and remarriage issue has been utterly destroyed, I believe, by a misreading of that. It, on the surface, without social context, it looks like you can never remarry unless your spouse was unfaithful. And so I get into that specific issue. What he's getting at is the heart. I know you're legal, but I see right through you. I see your heart, your, your wife swapping, is what he says to them. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, but fulfill your, the, to the Lord the vows you have made. And that day it was, really, it was really big, the whole, I swear on a stack of Bibles. Or do you remember? Hand to God, hand to God. And it's the whole idea that, that I'm going to manipulate you into taking my word for it. And he's, what he's saying here is, you don't have to be the person who manipulates other people. You don't have to say, oh, you, you can trust my word because even though I'm not a trustworthy person, I, I made an oath. He's, oh, what's an oath worth? I tell you, don't swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is the foot, his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. He was escalating the, you know, in that day, if I said, well, I swear by heaven, I'm pretty committed to what I'm saying, but if I swear by Jerusalem, I'm really in. They literally had levels of whether you could trust me or not. Stupid stuff. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. That's the Rogaine verse of the Bible. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything from this beyond this comes from the evil one. The whole idea is my people with my righteousness will be the kind of people who when you, they say yes, you know they mean yes. When they say no, you know they mean no. You don't, have, you don't have to get into all these, you know, hand of God. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. This is called the lex talionis. It was a law embedded in Jewish culture to make sure you didn't go beyond in your retaliation. It was designed, the lex talionis was designed to limit retaliation. You cannot go in repayment beyond what was taken from you. But I tell you, look at this. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now look again. Look at the problem with making these laws. Literally, if someone hits you in the face, if you're going to fulfill Jesus' command, you literally have to stand up and say, got another side right here. Bring it on. Again, this is not a law. He's not setting up another. Take this literally. He's setting up a person will be so secure with my righteousness that they have a capacity to make themselves vulnerable. This is huge. Turn to them the other cheek, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. He's not just, he's saying, just let people sue you. Never, never offer a retort to their lawsuit that may be to totally superfluous. Don't do that. Just give them everything. No, what he's saying is, is someone who sued you, you have such a love operating if you're in your heart that if they needed a coat, you would give them that coat. Whew. If you didn't think you needed a come to Jesus moment, you do now. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This was called the tapping of the spear, where a Roman soldier could come up to you, and I could say, Val, I tap you on the shoulder. You'd have to carry my pack for one mile. It was law. And look at this. Jesus says, 
go, go with them two. Go with them two miles. And, you know, you, you just say, hey, you're making me go one mile. It's a good day for two. It's a good day for two. This, this is not literally, okay, you forced me to go one mile. I'm literally going to go two more miles, but I'm not going to be on that. He goes, no, it, with my righteousness, you'll be a two-mile person. you'll have something operating in you that is so different. Give to the one who asks you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That there will be this spirit of generosity with my goodness flowing through you. Verse 43, are you staying with me? Are you staying with me? You have heard heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was law. You, You just love the people who love you. Don't worry about your enemies. Just hate them back. But I tell you, love your enemies. A real interesting deal here is the word love is not the phileo feeling. It's not uh, this have warm fuzzies. It's agape, where you will the best for your enemies. That This is the idea of that quote that Jesus will make you the best friend a person can have, and he will make you the best enemy a person could have. Isn't that interesting? Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, that people will look at you and say, you have the family resemblance of the God who gives grace. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even, doesn't the mafia do that? I mean, the mafia, they do that. Tax collectors doing that. That's, that was basically the mafia in their day. And if you greet only your people... What are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? And then he says this word. Look at this word he says. Look at this. He concludes this section of six illustrations of what the righteousness operating in him looks like by saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I know we in the West, we look at things linearly and literally And what we miss there is he's not saying be morally flawless where you never make a mistake. Perfect in that culture was complete, whole. The dikaiusene of my God so makes you whole that you have a capacity to live that you didn't used to have. Because you now have the rightness of the heavenly father operating in you. Now, you may be hearing this today, and you go, oh, I am so far from this. There's no way. Yes, there is a way, because he is the way. He is the way. One time, some religious leaders come up to Jesus. It's in John 6, and they've got this religious framework. They, their, their viewpoint on religion is what religion almost always is. What do we need on our resume to get barcoded in? What do we need? Tell us what we need. You seem to know what you're talking about. What are the works we need to do to be included with the Father? And in John, look at this. In John 6, 29, Jesus says this. It's what he's saying right here. He goes, you know what your work is? It's to fully believe in the one the Father sent to me. Believe in me. Now, look at that. When he says belief, he's not saying believe that I existed. When I believe in someone, I I trust that their wisdom and their way, their truth, their life is the way, the truth, and the life for me. If if I say, do you believe in your stockbroker? I'm not asking, do you believe your stockbroker exists? 
I'm asking, when she gives you a tip for the market, do you trust it? Do you trust it? That's what Jesus is saying. That's what belief is. Belief is, I trust how you're leading me. I trust that your way is the smartest way to live. This is fascinating because what we do with religion is we just barcode, say the right things, and then who cares what the product is? You may think that you are perfume, but you're really mayonnaise. But, But that doesn't matter because you had the right barcode. And Jesus comes along and says, oh, no, no, no. This is not about barcode. Get the right things on your code so that you're swiped in. This is about a full immersion and trusting in my way, in my truth, in my life. And if you do that, what you get by hanging around me is my inner goodness. Whenever I hear somebody say, I tried, I tried Jesus and it wore me out, didn't work. No, you didn't try Jesus. Because he said, come to me, all you who are re- tired and burned out on religion, and I will give you rest. Take my system upon you, learn from me, because I'm meek, I'm humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. I'll empower you. You'll learn the rhythms of my grace and my righteousness. And this is a huge confrontation with the American lifestyle, which is just inoculated with a little bit of religion to where we are set up to be perfectly miserable with our faith. We're like the drunk who's bored at a Bible study and guilty at a bar. <laughs> like, they, you know, you're just like, so many, Amer- we're in between. We got just enough to make us feel guilty. But we haven't really surrendered to this point where we're saying, that's my broker. That's my life broker right there. Everything he says I will do. Look at these words that John would write. You see these all over the New Testament. He says, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made perfect in us. It's the same word, made complete. So he says, first of all, we we practice by loving each other. As we do that, it leaves room for God's love to be made complete in us. But we're also loving people because we've received a love that is transcendent of earth. And then he says this in verse 16. He says, God is agape. God is the kind of love that can love the enemy. That's, that's who God is. And he says, whoever lives in agape lives in God and God in them. This is the point of Matthew chapter 5. That at some point, you're going to have to make the decision. Are you going to dabble in this in a religious sort of way? Or are you going to say, in him I live and move and have my being. I am in a relationship with him where my goal in life is to walk with him every minute of every day that I receive his righteousness, his dikaiusene, and it is growing in me. That's the decision every one of us at some point we have to make. Because, look at this, Jesus does not call us to do what he did. If you are a dead tree, you can't produce apples. But if you are a tree that is healthy from the root system on up, you are permeated with what makes an apple tree, you're going to produce apples. 
And what he does is he calls us to be permeated with love and filled with dikaiusune. In a couple weeks, we're going to get to where he says, our Father who is in heaven. Anybody ever heard those words? And it changed my life 25 years ago, 28 years ago now, 1994, when I, I read in Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy, in the original language, it's, it's originally, it's, it's plural because the Jews saw three levels of heaven. So it's our Father who fills the first heaven, the space around us, who fills the second heaven, the, the space in the sky, and the third heaven, which is the heavenly realm. And it just, it changed my life. It, it was another day of losing my religion when I realized that our Father fills the space around us. I, if I want to, I can be permeated with his love. I can be drenched. I can be literally walking in his love. Does that help anybody? Because it helped me, like, hugely. You know, religion is, I got to have the right AOL account and the right password. And, and, you know, and then I'm hooked in. I'm connected. But Jesus is, I have released my presence throughout the world, and if you want to, you can walk in me. That's why the New Testament says, walk in the Spirit, as he did. Jesus saw this world as permeated with the love of God. I have access to it 24-7. And would you want dry religion over that? I'll be like, who wants that? And I don't think you come to this church, which you're not sure if it is a real church anyway, if you really wanted that anyway. So I, I, it it's just makes sense, doesn't it? But here's what we, we believe around here. So to try to put it in a package where people can say, okay, um, I'm going to position my life to receive his dikaiusune. So if you come in on a hot summer day, which I know that seems a long ways off, and you're sweating and you want to cool off, you position yourself under the vent where the cool air blows on you. And so Jesus is that person who says, walk with me, because when you do, you're positioning yourself to receive the, the wind of my spirit, the breath of my spirit, the breath of my dikaiusune. So life doesn't become this checkpoint and check the boxes. It becomes this, am I positioning my life to receive this? And around here, we believe that it's, it's, there are five things you can count on. Now, now here's what's, this, is what's, this is what's dangerous about this. In 50 years, your grandchildren will be walking around saying, you know, we've got a law around here that says you've got to do these five things or you're not barcoded in. Some of the best practices become legalisms, don't they? They become empty ritual. That's what happens. So don't make it a checkbox. But if you say, every day I have some solitude where I can experience dikaiusune. I have chairs that I sit in where I literally, I breathe in your goodness. I breathe out my anger. I breathe out my lust. I breathe out my revenge, I, re- I breathe out, I breathe that out, but I breathe this in. That's what you do in solitude. You pray and you say, Jesus, I want you. And if I empty myself, then I have more of you. In scripture, we examine dikaiusune. It's where we, we get to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, when we look at your word, how did you respond? In 
service, we express it. We're not serving because we have to. Now we're going to let that out. Because the interesting thing is as we empty ourselves, it gives more room for more of his dikaiusne to come in. In support, we exchange it. We literally get to see the love and the grace of God in people who know us at our worst. And in significant events, we get to exercise it. And the events of life that come upon us and, and the significant events that we plan on both, we get to exercise this goodness that is coming out of us that didn't used to be in us. And we have found that Christianity in the last 2,000 years, that's pretty much it. There may be six, there may be seven, but that's pretty much it. What are you going to do? Are you going to live with those unforced rhythms of his grace? So that you don't want to hold on to anger. It's not that you don't get angry. You don't, you don't want to hold on to it. It's not that you don't have moments where you're tempted to lust, but you don't want to. You would never think of violating your spouse. You, you're too full of love to do that. <laughs> like, that, that, that you, know, you won't want to. Now, I wouldn't trust myself until I was dead four days, but you won't want to. <laughs> and you won't want to hold bitterness toward people who have Become your enemies. You'll pray, you'll, you'll pray for them, not to fulfill some law, but because you want them to see God's goodness. Jesus said, here's your work. is to believe in the one God sent. And we think that's how. Let's pray. So, Father, this was a lot. This was a big piece of Jesus' stake. May we not see it as a religious law, but a way that we show, oh, your goodness is in me. Your goodness is living in me. And the work you started in me, you're going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. It's not about what I can work toward. It's about what I can allow to come in. As, as Keith Green used to sing, you put this love in my heart. You put this love in my heart. And that's what we pray. So right now, we don't take of the communion because it's a religious thing to do. We say, we want you in us. And some of us are going to spend some time emptying ourselves so that more of your inner goodness, things being set right, can live in me. And everybody said, amen. amen. See you next week for part four.